Hello, everybody. Welcome to Alternative Interests. My name is Kat. My name is Crystal. Hello, Crystal. Hello, Kat. <laughs> How are you? I just woke up from a nap. I know you did. I'm groggy. <laughs> well, it's better you that took a nap because I would wake up in a horrible mood if I took a nap. But look at me. Cheery. <laughs> Bright eyed, bushy tailed. Cheery, positive me. Okay. Anyways, it is my turn today. And I was I <laughs> I think I was pausing for applause. <laughs> yes, could we could we <laughs> It's like okay. Yes, I here I am. Here I am. <laughs> I'm sure people are like, ugh, it is her turn again. I know how this is going to go, but it's all right. All right. Well, yes, it is my turn. And I am back, believe it or not, with a, another cold case. Remember, I was like, I don't like cold cases. And then, I know. And now you're sucked into them. And- now I'm sucked into them and I'm invested. Uh, the reason I came across this cold case was because um, of the last one that I did, actually, uh, Nancy Moyer. Nancy Moyer's case, uh, her daughter Sam is very close, unfortunately, with um, another daughter, which they have that makes no sense in anyone's head. <laughs> She's close with another daughter. <laughs> I mean, there's. Do you listen to me sometimes, and you're like, "You're a teacher." <laughs> Where is she going with this? No, and then I, it's it's a a weird relationship to yeah. try and explain. It's well, how about this? I don't think they would have ever met each other had it not been for the common circumstances and the tragedies that both of these uh, women have had to experience in their life. And it's unfortunate. They are part of a club that nobody wants to be a part of. Um, In Nancy's case, obviously, uh, she disappeared and we still don't know what happened to Nancy Moyer. And, uh, And in this other case, also a Washington woman, Uh, She was found murdered, and there is still no clues as to uh, who did this to her. So not just a Washington woman, but a woman from basically the neighboring city from where Nancy went missing. Exactly. Different times, but still. So um, this case has left investigators baffled for years now there hasn't been it's been 14 years we still have no answers and this is the case of karen bodine so on the morning of january 22nd 2007 which was a monday morning um, around 8 45 a passing motorist called 911 because they were passing by this busy road and they thought that they saw what looked like a doll or a mannequin kind of laid out on the side of the road. They weren't exactly sure, so they called the police. And it is never a mannequin. It is never a mannequin. It is never a doll, right? Yeah. Um, Little Rock Road is a very busy road. Um, it's near the southwest um, entrance to an old uh, gravel quarry in Rochester, Washington. 
Okay. So police knew that area very well. Um, they arrived to the scene quickly, and they quickly got there and realized what you just said. It was not a mannequin, and they taped off that portion of the road. What they had found there was an unidentified uh, naked female body, unfortunately, was deceased. There was no purse or wallet found with the body. Um, and even though she was uh, without clothing, um, there was no indication of sexual assault. Um, it would be the next day that she would be identified as 37-year-old uh, Karen Bodine, who was a mother of three. Um, now, this road that she was found on is a busy 50-mile speed limit two-lane country road. So it's not like it's a hidden road or a road just off the beaten path. It is in the area that's four miles north of U.S. Highway 12 and less than a quarter mile of the north end of Sargent Road, if you know that area. We'll have a map yeah, just up. so that we can try and um, talk about this in a broader sense, because uh -huh. a lot of people don't know where um, where Rochester is and yeah. Tom Water, which is the other city that's right down there. Um, this is so I-5 is the major freeway going through that i mean most people know i-5 yeah it goes south um all the way to california i'm pretty sure oh yeah, yeah that's right yeah so going on i-5 if you're starting in olympia moving south uh you'll hit tumwater and then um tenino and rochester are kind of in opposite directions from tumwater okay and they're 20 minutes in either direction so we're talking about like a pretty small area well you know crystal i'm glad you're here because uh i don't operate with words like north and south or southwest you just have to tell me things like uh by the big arby's or by the target over there like i that's how i give and receive direction so I'm glad you're here because I have no idea like my husband always says my uh directional awareness is is really not good but I make up for it in other ways anyways um so this area unfortunately where Karen was found is commonly used as a dump site for stolen cars and illegally dumped like garbage. People just pull off and um, dump their stuff. Uh, please. So let me ask if yes. this is such a highly trafficked area, uh -huh. how is it that it's also a dump site? I would think a highly trafficked area would not be where you would want to abandon like because you don't want to be seen when you're abandoning this stuff. Yeah, yeah, you don't. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Because I also read, too, that this area was popular for hunting as well. Like uh, ducks and deer, apparently. People go there to hunt. Which then tells me that whoever did this had to be local and knew the area. Right. Because they had to have known when it's super busy, when it's not, right? Where where to put it, where to put her so it would be easily seen. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
And um, so that's what I immediately thought when I was reading all of this. Uh, now, P the police believe that this was a secondary site, meaning that Karen was killed somewhere else and then her body was purposely driven there to that spot and her body was staged. Okay. So it was, so it's not like someone unfortunately killed her and then left her there. It, they moved her and brought, so there is a primary location where it happened that the police don't know about. Right. And so she was purposely posed. Her clothes were purposely taken off and she was left on her back, which the police believe that was for shock value. And her head was actually resting on an old discarded car seat that was dumped on the side of the road. So that had nothing to do with her or anything. It was, the police had determined early on that that was left there prior to Karen being left there. The cause of death was strangulation. And uh, investigators found no outward evidence of trauma, but they did note, um, and this is, and I quote, suspicious markings on Karen's body. And I'll, I'll explain that a little bit later. Okay. But what was very interesting was that the ligature was still found le around her neck. They, they purposely left it around her yeah, neck. Yeah, they took off all her clothes, but they left the murder exactly, weapon Exactly, but they left, yes. Yeah. Um, and so they say whoever killed her, they wanted her to be seen. Like that was their purpose. They did recover several DNA samples from her body. So uh, it wasn't just one DNA sample. There were several different DNA samples that they were able to recover. That's interesting. Very interesting. But remember, this was also back in 2007. So as DNA technology improves, um, they didn't have that back then. Well, I'm more thinking that if they took several samples of DNA, was this more than one person? And that is what the current detective on the case believes, that yes, there had to have been more than one person that participated in whether it was moving her to the second location or participated in her murder. Yeah, that makes the most sense to me. I just, yeah, with there being multiple DNA profiles found on her body, especially when she has no clothing on, there's only so Correct. many places on your body. And I don't know where the DNA was taken from, but there's only so many places on a normal day in January, especially because it's pretty cold um, that you would have Correct. skin showing. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what they did find out about Karen was that uh, she was living, she was involved with a boyfriend and she was living with him in his apartment. But I guess there was an issue with domestic violence. So that weekend in particular, Karen was forced to leave her apartment. Now, it wasn't known um, to her family or the police where she, exactly she was staying when she got kicked out because she got kicked out that Friday, apparently. Okay. Her family, when, once they realized that this was her, they still thought she had been living there. So they had no idea that she was kicked out until, you know, they had talked to Karen's friends and whatnot. Right. 
Um, but what they also know is, is that Karen was hanging out with a quote rough group of people that evening and to the early morning of January 22nd. Um, she was last known to be alive, like verifiably alive, at a house near where she was found. Okay, well, I mean, this group of people is looking pretty good for it. Exactly. Um, this w- this house was near uh, 14th Avenue and southeast of the Golf Club Road in Lacey. Like, and she, people were apparently coming in and out of that house. It was an alleged drug house, apparently. And um, that is where she was verifiably seen the night before her body was found. So that was her last known sighting alive. Okay. And I know we just brought up another town named Lacey. Uh-huh. Just to clarify for people listening, Lacey and Olympia kind of blend into each other. Um with Tumwater kind of being there too. It's one of those weird, like you can be in all three cities at once in some places. Oh, I didn't even know that. I mean, I, I kind of live in a place like this, like literally um, I can walk across the street and be in a different city and I can Hmm. walk about 20 feet North and South of my, like of my house and be in two different cities. So like, these kind of blended areas and these smaller are common. They're really common. Um, I don't know how common this is in other States actually, Uh but at least in Washington, we have a lot of these unincorporated areas that kind of get adopted into cities. And so the lines between cities get kind of blurred and you can end up being in one of these places where you can walk 10 feet up the road and be in a different city or 10 feet down the road and be in a different city. Oh, interesting. Well, this was one of those cases then. And I'm sure that messed up with jurisdiction because, Oh, I'm sure she was last known to be at a house in Lacey. She's found technically in, um, in Rochester. Rochester. Yeah. It's just, everything is so close. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how they get all that figured out, you know? Depending on where she was found and if she this road she was found on actually may have put her in county jurisdiction. Well, and Thurston County Sheriff's Department has this case. Okay, yeah, then it um So the same as Nancy Moyer. Yeah, so probably due to where she was found and the fact that this links several cities that could be why the uh county took it. Yeah. Um, They also know that Karen got into an altercation with the owner of the house the night before. Okay. Now, they investigated this owner inside and out, the the one that she got in an altercation with. Um, He took a polygraph in 2007, and that was quickly ruled inconclusive. Um, And they also ruled out the owner's DNA. Okay. So they checked all the boxes on that one. Um, Now, there are several witnesses that do describe seeing a 80s model light brown Datsun, or it was also described as a Toyota type truck with a lighter colored camper shell spotted on that road before her body was noticed. Okay. Okay. And this isn't just one person who 
who witnessed that. These are several people who say, yeah, we saw, and again, they're calling it, you know, like a brown Datsun or Toyota type truck. Mm -hmm. Like the, the descriptions of both were like super close, but they all were in agreement that there was a lighter color camper shell on top. Okay. So that was spotted on that road before she was found. I mean, that's, that's a pretty specific description. Yeah. There's uh-huh. not a whole lot. I mean, this is 2007. That's a pretty old model truck. Mm-hmm. And that's, especially with a camper on it, that would be hard to miss. Yeah. And uh, I think it's on her poster or I forget where, but I'll have it when we, um, I'll have it in the notes and you'll be able to see it, but they do have kind of like, not the car, but you know, one that looks closely similar to what people were describing. Yeah. Like they have a picture of it. So and I'll, I can we'll, picture we'll it in my head. Like too. I know yeah. what this looks like. Yeah. Um, police were able to take impressions of the tire tracks cause there were tire tracks left at the scene. So they also have that. Another thing that I read is that, and why they're, they're so set on this was, she was put out here because they wanted her to be found is that so she was left right there on the shoulder of the road this area there is a lot of dense brush if someone was trying to hide her or hide the fact that they did this there are different spots that they could have placed her instead of right there right basically it would be like a couple feet it's not like yeah and Uh it's it's sad to think about it this way, but someone didn't just drag her out of a trunk and just like no. plop her down in a pile. They it's posed like they her, flipped her over so that she was facing the direction they wanted. Mm-hmm. I just I don't know how people saw this truck and didn't see. I guess a camper blocks a lot. But. Well, yeah, and then that would take time to pose and do all that stuff, right? But then that lends to the fact that this had to have been more than one person. Right. So, um, in a few articles published the day, the days after she was found, I read a couple of them. Um, it was reported that a Lacey police officer actually had been dispatched to do a welfare check on a person matching Karen's description hours before she was found. Um, and this wasn't because she was in trouble or anything. It was a welfare check. Like someone was like, can you go check on this, um, this person? Um, make sure she's okay. Was it, do you know where? Like, was it to I this think it house? Was, or? I think it was to this house or near this house. Interesting, okay. Yeah. Again, the biggest piece of evidence they have is the three different DNA samples yeah. um, that they found on her body. But authorities never revealed if they were found on her body or on the ligature or both. See, that almost reinforces to me that this is multiple people. Yeah. Because what I bet you, I bet you anything that there was DNA found on the ligature that was not found on the body body. or there was DNA found on the body that was not on Mm -hmm. the ligature. And so if someone comes forward and they start saying, Hey, this is what happened. They can rule out whether they're telling the truth or not based on if they say, they touched the ligature and her body or whatever. Correct. 
Um, when the murder first went public, the media portrayed Karen as a transient drug addict. Um, now, this causes a lot of um, frustration uh, for her family. And we're going to talk more about her family because we did get to have a conversation with Carly, um, who was Karen's oldest daughter. Um, and she has been on a never ending quest for answers for her mom. And she believes that when the media first portrayed her mom like this in the newspaper reports, she believes that that hurt the initial investigation and kind of public interest in it Absolutely. because her mom was portrayed in a negative light. It's almost like people are like, Oh, well she was probably on drugs and she was home. Like they don't, care about it unless she was a soccer mom that right. you know that was on the PTA and and um, I will say that um, Western Washington is widely known to be pretty liberal but this small area of Rochester to Nino Tumwater um, are actually quite the opposite they are a very this pocket of Western Washington is very conservative. And mm -hmm. um, so the second that it came out that she was viewed as a transient drug addict, I guarantee the community didn't care anymore. Yeah. And that's really sad because I feel like these victims are the way they're painted. Um, it They're viewed like their life isn't as important as someone with a different lifestyle. Right or a lifestyle that we deem as appropriate or, you know, it's worthy the, of attention. Yeah, it's the whole concept of being less dead. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So she believes, Carly believes that this is why the case did not get the attention it deserved, which I 100% agree with her. Absolutely. So to tell you a little bit more about Karen, um, she was very much loved and um, cared for by her family. Her parents are Dave and Sharon Bodine, and she was just, um, she had her issues, obviously, but she was a loving daughter and a very loving mother. At the time of her murder, her oldest daughter, Carly, was actually a senior in high school, her second daughter, Taylor, was a freshman, and her youngest son, Tanner, was only in the sixth grade when this happened, which breaks my heart. I mean, it breaks my heart when it happens to small children, but, like, you're in high school. All of her kids, basic, well, two of her kids were in high school. One was in middle school. That, that, those are ages that are, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, when you need your mom the most. And um, the children, though they did live with Karen's parents, Karen did have a substance abuse problem on and off throughout her life. But it was during that time, her family uh, was under the impression that she had been clean for about two years prior to oh, her murder. Okay. But I, be I do believe when the toxicology report came out, they did find a tiny bit of substance, but I think that was just alcohol. Okay. That they, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't a ton, but they did find something in her system. Okay. But that's not the same as going out and using drugs. No, and... uh, uh, no, 
No. Okay. Um, while her children did live with their parents, she always saw them, like all the time. And she maintained a very close relationship with all three of them. She never missed a birthday, a holiday, or a school event at all. I mean, she loved her children. And I know some people, you know, that goes with like, you know, how a victim is portrayed. Like, well, she didn't even have her children. But I also think that that is a, um, her children living with her parents. It's almost like, that's what a good mom she was. She knew that, she, you know, maybe she couldn't provide the stability they needed. Maybe so, exactly. Do we know where the the father was? No, okay. I I haven't read anything on the father. Okay. So um, she was also uh, described as a fashionista who just always had her hair perfectly styled. Uh, like Nancy, if you look pic- uh, look at pictures of Karen, she is a beautiful, just woman as well. Yeah. Um, I, some of the photos I've seen, I don't know what the time frame is here. Uh-huh. I don't know if this is when she was... Um, it sounds like she was cleaning up her life yeah. the last couple of years, so I don't know if it's from that time period or before. But she looks super healthy to me in yeah. the photos that I've seen. Exactly. And and um, I did read that at the time of her um, unfortunate murder, she had like short, spiky kind of bleach blonde hair that was tinted pink, which sounds super cute to me, especially on someone like her. I don't know. We'll have to ask Carly about that. But um, that's what I read in one of the reports. Um, she had a contagious laugh. Um, like I said, she battled addiction on and off for years um, and... It sounds like from everything I read that her family had always tried to help her in any way. And I think that was also one of the reasons why the kids lived with uh, her parents was, I, you know, it's almost like they acknowledge that she does have, she did have a problem, but I feel like she was always trying, you yeah. know, and she was still there for her kids. It's not like she never saw her kids. She was still there for her kids, even though they didn't live, you know, with her. Mm-hmm. The same Thurston County detective that um, is on Nancy Moyer's case also is doing Karen's case. He believes that there are still people out there who know something about this case, but for whatever reason, haven't come forward. Um, like we've been talking about before, he 100% believes that there is more than one person involved and that more than one person knows exactly what happened. One of the huge obstacles to this case, however, is that they have never been able to get a really clear timeline of the events the weekend, that weekend prior to the morning of that Monday. So they do know, you know, she was, she was kicked out of the apartment on Friday. They think she was you know, staying with friends. Then there's this house with the rough crowd. um, And then she's found um, on the early morning of Monday. It sounds like this group of people is hiding something. Oh, definitely. Like, do we know how thoroughly this group was interviewed and looked into? Or do we even know who the whole group is? 
Well, that's the thing. I think they know that there was a bunch of people going in and out of that house. So I think they could only locate who they could locate and who they could verify that was actually in there. And those are the people they talked to. Now, that's so rough because you know exactly, you know, the people involved with this, there's a chance they didn't even talk to them. Exactly. Or they fled or they were there, you know, it's or just like somebody was a witness to something and they know what happened. But because they were involved with this group, possibly with drugs, they don't want to come forward because they don't want to be in trouble for their other recreational activities. Correct. Which is so frustrating. And that would be hard as a as an investigator, too. Yeah. Like I because it's not like you can get a record of every person that went in, in and out of that house, if there's no camera, if there isn't any reliable witnesses that are willing right. to be honest. That's so and, hard. And especially when you're dealing with how they described them, a rough crowd. Okay, you know? so, I mean, what what's... Obviously, witness, eyewitness testimony can only go so far and kind of, I mean, I mentioned it last week that eyewitness testimony isn't exactly the best all the time. So what are they doing with the DNA? That's their biggest lead there. So I'm glad you brought that up. So with the DNA, um, now there's obvious technology uh, where you can isolate certain parts of the DNA to get an exact match, mm-hmm. right? Now, um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but Karen's case and Nancy's case were actually both, um, were two of the cases used at the inauguration of a crime con event called crowd solve where this was the first crowd solve actually where they invite kind of you know this um new uprising of they call armchair detectives right which is essentially kind of what you and i are except where we tell the stories more right. than actually like try to you know I actually remember hearing about this yeah, um, and hearing about specifically about Karen Bodine's case in connection with CrowdSolve Seattle. So exactly. So what, so my friend actually, she attended this CrowdSolve in Seattle. And so she got to hear all of uh, the evidence. She got to see Nancy and um, Nancy's daughter. Sorry. Sam was there. um, Sam's dad, Uh, The guy, James, um, who did the Hide and Seek podcast were there and they presented. Oh, and also uh, Mickey Hamilton, who is uh, taken on both of these cases from Thurston County. Um, He was there. He spoke. Uh, They got to listen to Carly and her sister and her brother speak about Karen. And then they were all presented with uh, the case and the information on the case. Um, they even share uh, crime scene photos oh, and wow. they go super in depth. And I guess it is like, re- like, like they tell them, OK, we're going to show you this stuff. You can't talk about it afterwards. You can't take pictures of it like it is a, you know, like I think it's super awesome. That sounds really cool. I didn't realize that it was that in depth that yeah. like, people are learning confidential information exactly how, and 
how do they keep that? I'm just thinking about logistically. How do they make sure that information doesn't get out? I, I think everyone signs a confidentiality agreement before they attend. Wow. My friend, she said it was very interesting. Actually, I already looked it up and I'm like, Crystal and I, we need to go the, to the next one. I think that would be super interesting if we attended a crowd solve. I was looking and there was another one in Houston. Um, I, I don't know if it's this year or I would love to go to crowd to uh, crowd solve. Anyway, so Karen's case and Nancy's case were presented at this first crowd solve, and they even offered to pay uh, for the advanced testing of this evidence. But as you and I, we were talking before, the Thurston County Sheriff couldn't accept this offer because it would be seen as monetary compensation, and that would set a bad precedent, you know, as if they were putting priority on this over other cases that maybe aren't cold. Well, it's not just that. It's um, it's what uh, government employees refer to as a gratuitous gift. Mm-hmm. And they cannot accept it. Yeah. There is so much... Um, there's so many rules and red tape as to what they can accept. So technically... The Thurston County Sheriff's Office can accept this money. They have to disperse it equally to their entire department and Mm -hmm. caseload. Yeah. They they can't just dedicate dedicate it to this one. Mm -hmm. Even though it's coming from a third party, it's coming from CrowdSolve. It's not coming from the Bodines or Nancy Moyer's daughter. But it it's seen as a gratuity that it's it looks like they are showing favor. Exactly. And it's so hard. I know that there's ways around it. Um, oh, but I'm sure that takes a lot of paperwork and a lot of. I'm sure. And know. actually, you and I were talking about this the other day, I think. So there's there's a podcast I listen to that I love and it is called um, Jensen and Holes the Murder Squad. Uh-huh. And this type of case like Karen Bodine's case specifically where there is obvious DNA that can be tested and there's a body and there we don't know what happened. This is their kind of case. I think if we can get their attention on this. Uh-huh. Both of them are seasoned. Um, one of them is a detective. So Paul Holes, in case listeners don't know, Paul Holes was on the detective team that caught the Golden State Killer. Oh. And Billy Jensen is a, a longtime true crime journalist. And so these two are intimately familiar with how to work with different jurisdictions. I think if we could get their attention on this case, they may be able to work around some of that red tape to get the DNA testing done. That would be awesome because um, I know that this case, and it is because of Carly's just hunger for justice for her mom. This case has gotten a lot of attention from smaller podcasts and stuff like that. And um, 
I, I saw this case on TikTok, obviously CrowdSolve, which was a huge crime con event. Um, so that would be awesome. I'm surprised those two haven't even heard about this case yet. And the fact that Carly pays for billboards out of her own pocket just to help keep her mom's face out there and to find answers. Um, I know the other day on her page for her mom, um, she was talking about how another one of her mom's billboards had to come down because I didn't know this, but billboards cost about $7,000 to stay up for about three or four months. And then that is a lot of money. And she's kept this billboard up for how many years now? Uh, it's not the same billboard. She ha- she has to move various spots in you know different areas, but in that and that's smart anyway because yeah, of exposure exactly. And so um, I don't know. She I think she has one or two up going simultaneously, like as long as she can keep them up. And I mean, um, she does have a GoFundMe in her mother's name um, that we will also put into our notes to help her pay for this because $7,000 is a lot of money. Um, So she is always trying to raise money specifically for these billboards. And then she is always very clear that any money left over goes to fees directly related to uh, just what it costs to keep this search for her mother's killer going. I mean, that's like hiring private investigators. She also... um, has created a website called uh, www.karenbodine.com. She says she's received several tips through the website, but anyone with information about her mom's case is to uh, is asked to call Detective Hamilton um, at 360-786-5279. We're, again, going to have those uh, all of this information in the notes of the podcast. And then there's also Crime Stoppers of South Sound. And there is a 1-800-222-TIPS. And then you can also send anonymous tips through uh, this app called P3 Tips app. And you can download it to your cell phone for free. And you can send anonymous tips that way. And right now, there is also a $50,000 reward um, that is plastered all over her posters for any tips leading to uh, more information that hopefully solves this case. And then, That's insane. Yeah. And crime, I mean, somebody has to know something. Someone has to know. And Crime Stoppers will pay a cash reward um, of up to $1,000 for your tips that lead to an arrest in the case. You know what blows my mind is that something like Crime Stoppers can pay a reward for information, but the sheriff's office can't accept funds to run I know. a DNA test. I know. That's crazy. It's like the, I, I completely understand it. Like, I mean, I don't completely understand it. I understand the reasoning behind it. It's just frustrating because this... This case could so easily be solved with DNA. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And that's what's so, so it's just, it's sad, you know, like Mm -hmm. I wish, 
I wish we could find the answers and give the, you know, it, it must be so hard. And like we mentioned earlier, we're going to hear from Carly about this case. And so you'll get to hear it um, from her, but I can't imagine what it's like to not have these answers. Right. So after so long and ugh. something that should honestly be, it should not be this hard. No, it shouldn't. I mean, knowing who she came in contact with the weekend before is a little iffy. But between talking to everybody, there should be no reason that we can't have answers in this. I know. I know. And so, like with Sam Moyer, I just want to help Carly so bad and hopefully... Uh, keeping her mom's name out there and all the information to the case, because just like in Nancy Moyer's case, somebody knows something Yeah, there. I, I mean, somebody knows. Yeah, so. absolutely. It's just getting them to come forward. Yeah. So hopefully we do our part to kind of get this out, out there a little bit more. And since it's, you know, it's close to us because of proximity, but, but also because there you go. Like you said, because we have hearts are so frustrating. I, know. I have a heart. I don't know about you sometimes. <laughs> what did you call me earlier? Um, uh, <laughs> a heartless it? automaton. <laughs> hey, Hey, I'm just, yeah, that's what I am. <laughs> But I have my good attributes as well. Like, for example, I. You have a great laugh. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what did you. You also said something to me the other day that I'm like, that's going to be on my tombstone. Oh, your positives far outweigh the (laughs) negatives. Yes. And I'm like, there it is. That's going on my tombstone. Her positives far outweigh the negatives. I want that instead of saying like she loving lit- life and mother. Yeah. Or instead of going if I murder instead of like going on 2020, like if I go busy or whatever, instead of saying like she lit up a room. No, her saying, positives you know far what? Her, outweighed her negatives. Her positives really far outweighed her negatives. Oh my god. <laughs> So after we finished recording this episode, we actually had an opportunity to have an interview with Carly, who was Karen's daughter. And we are going to post the audio of that interview the same way we did our interview with Sam. I know not everyone listens to interviews. So we kind of wanted to talk really quick about a couple of things that Carly mentioned to us that we didn't know before that we think are really, really important to get into this episode so that even if you don't listen to the interview, you're still getting the information. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that we wanted to mention is that the friend's house where Karen was last known to be and the place where the police went and did the welfare check on her. That man's name was Jim Hunt. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Carly said that investigators want his name out there, 
and they want people to know. And Kat actually, both of us were really surprised because Kat had not seen this name anywhere in her research. No. So uh, the fact that Carly mentioned this um, so that we can get the name out there, we think is really important. And something about Jim, that's probably just me being weird because we know that I pay attention to the weirdest details, but Jim was in a very, very amateur band at the time. Um, Carly said that they were nowhere near uh, very talented, so they may only have been known to a few of their friends. But if anybody knows Jim Hunt or knows of someone named Jim who was in a garage-type band at the time, and you know anything about this time period that Karen went missing, please let uh, Thurston County Sheriff's know. And what was the last thing? Um, well, the, the reason or how Karen knew Jim was because of her boyfriend, um, Jim and her boyfriend were friends and I think they played, I don't think they were in the same band, but I think they had played together before. Yes. I forgot about that part. Yes. Um, and then the other thing that's, it's not, well, it's important and it's not important. It's just kind of an update that we were talking a lot about the DNA testing. And Carly said that they are in line for some comprehensive DNA testing. They're just waiting until it's their turn. So that's really good news. Yeah. And hopefully that'll bring some answers too. Yep. But um, talking with Carly was interesting. She definitely had mm-hmm. a lot of information. Mm-hmm. I would encourage listeners to go and listen to the full audio and we will make sure and post that. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, Well, if you guys know anything, uh, we will have all of this information posted um, everywhere that we share our podcast stuff. So it'll be in the podcast notes and on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Don't hesitate to reach out to the sheriff's department or, you know, even us, if you give us the information, I'll pass it on. And I would on, love yes. that $50,000 reward. Yeah. <laughs> I might toss them your way. <laughs> oh, also, Carly has a Facebook page that we will link to for her mom for any tips, anything like that left yeah. on there as well. It would just be really nice to get some answers on this. Yes, definitely. <sighs> but... Yeah. All right. Thanks, Crystal. Thanks, Kat. Yeah. I'll see you next time. Yeah, we'll see everybody next time. All right. Bye. Bye. Oh, you know what? I never said yay this time. Oh, yay.